Okay. Hello, Aspies, and welcome to another edition of Inside the Asperger's Studio. Today, I'm joined with Carla again, and today we're going to be talking about masking in work and in general public. So, Carla, what are, you, what are your feelings about masking in general? Oh, sure. I've got so many feelings. Thank you for having me again, Reed. Um, Not a problem. I guess with, with masking in general, for me, it's something that is often used with um, the autistic population, but also with people diagnosed with ADHD and neurotypical people. I think that we like everyone masks at some point in their lives to whether it is to fit in or not to stand out. You know, those two are quite different and opposites. Um, and the other thing is just to like, if you learn from your environment, that's something that you naturally do. You know, if you look at kids, um, how they learn from their peers and they go to a playground and they see, oh, the kid is going down the slide. This is something I should do. And then you get the one child that's maybe taking the hose pipe and making or waiting his, his mom with it. And another kid joins him and he does the same thing. So I think it's, it's copying, but it's also masking what you're truly feeling. Um, and I think it's getting done a lot because we're not having these conversations um, in the in employment or in, in jobs per se. Um, yeah, but I think that's definitely something that we should speak about. I, I want to bring up a, a journal article that I actually just read about, and it's one of the first studies that have been done um, by Autism CRC, mm-hmm. and also a new friend of mine, his name is Justin Carrera, He did his PhD in Australia with two universities in in Australia, and the paper is called New Insights on Effective Autism Employment Practices. And what they actually did is they interviewed 169 participants, and they asked them, what are the accommodations that you, the autistic person, need to do at work to feel comfortable? Or they ask the the employees, um, co-workers, what what accommodations do you feel you need or the person diagnosed with autism needs? And the cool thing about the study is that it actually turns out that, and I don't know if this is something that people would predict, but neurotypical people and neurodivergent individuals have the same amount of accommodations that they need at work, they're just different, different accommodations. So whereas an autistic person might need to, like we said um, in our previous conversation, might need to know when is appropriate to take breaks, and your typical person might know that. So they might not ask for breaks. So, yeah, quite a lot that I said there. Sorry. <laughs> no, not a problem. Your turn. <laughs> yeah, I feel that masking in the workplace and even in public is, it kind of goes against what we are, what I always believe in is that it hides your uniqueness. We are unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, why should we hide who we are just so we can be accepted either in in general or in our workplace i mean i mean that leads me to the next thing is what can we do or how can we educate these employers on how to be more open towards those of us who are autistic so we don't have to Mm. mask because i know when you mask it it's draining because you're Mm. fighting against who you are on the inside and you're pretending to be someone you're not yeah um, you know, I think it all goes back to education and educating people on what autism is and what autistic traits are, what accommodations they can make in the in the work environment to support autistic individuals better. Because I'll tell you a story, right? So, for instance. If you look at somebody that acts different than the norm, it takes the group group 
mentality. So if you look at social psychology, it takes the group a little bit longer to understand, oh, okay, this person is acting different, but what he or she, she is saying is really, I need to listen to this. So it's because it's anything different is always threatening to a person that is used to going with the norm, understanding group mentality, you know, following people a lot. So it's a bit difficult to to know what we need to do, but I think these conversations are important. And I think just the more people have these conversations with people diagnosed with autism, you know, autistic advocates and, and reading up about a lot of the literature that autistic advocates or writers are putting out there and understanding, okay, um, if he or she is not looking at me, it doesn't mean that they're not interested. That's just a processing issue or issues with dual processing, you know, or not needing to look at the person. And it doesn't mean that they're not interested in the conversation. So I don't know. It's like, it's not that difficult to connect with, with autistic people. I don't, I don't understand a lot of times why people struggle to, to give that space to autistic people and saying, okay, well be yourself because that's actually what, what I want as a psychologist is I want somebody to be a hundred percent themselves because otherwise you won't, you can't truly connect. Can you? So. No, I know you had said your significant other, he kind of masks in his former job. How yes. Did he, how was he when he like came home from work? Was he exhausted because of the masking? Yes. So, okay. So, um, my partner used to be a chef. He was trained as a chef. I must be honest though with you, when he was a chef, I wasn't with him. So Mm -hmm. I can only say what he told me. Right. So it is second person, but, um, he was exhausted. So he would come home and he would take a shower and fall, fall asleep. So, Um, he also explained it as he was always grumpy. He didn't think it was the job, you know, it was maybe external, the external uh, stimuli or the environment that he thought was irritating him or making him feel grumpy. So he didn't actually know that it's him not wanting, not wanting, but not, he couldn't be himself at, in an environment such as um, working in a kitchen because you can't mm-hmm. take that five minutes of movement break, which is so important. And we spoke about this um, earlier. And Or you can't say, listen, this is driving me in a, towards a meltdown because of the sensory input. You're shouting at me. I can smell these, these different things burning or whatever happens in the kitchen Um, and this person might not be smelling great and when he changed from that environment to the environment where he is now where he's working at home it made a massive difference you know he was calm he's calmer now he he's able to understand um, how to manage his own anxieties better so yeah so it's definitely a big that's a big difference. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that um, external, um, he dealt with external things coming at him. That's almost like sensory overload. I mean, I I never knew what that was until one day I was talking with a friend of mine and I explained to him the symptoms I was having. He's like, you have what's called, he's like, you're an Aspie. Those are that's a sensory overload issue. That's what, those are some of the signs you're having it is you're tired, you're irritable, you're, you're can't focus. Right. It's your brain rebooting and saying you need to get away from those stimulations. Mm -hmm. And in the workplace as your partner, it's hard to do that when you're in a workplace and they don't understand what you're dealing with because you're Mm. technically pretending you don't have these issues so your body is fighting Mm. against you yes exactly and a lot of times what happens and this is a big thing i think more so even for female autistic individuals because a lot of times the boss or an employer might say get over it it's not that bad 
everyone else is managing fine. And those words are quite intense if you if you hear it from an authoritative mm-hmm. figure and you think, okay, well, maybe I am overreacting, which you're definitely not. But to hear those kind of things from possibly a young age, it can be detrimental. And that's maybe why females masks a mask a lot more and mm. that's more prevalent in the female autistic population that masking is quite it's it's definitely um, evident and maybe that's why in the autistic world people don't seem to think females have it is because mm. of the facts they mask more and they're able to pretend they're not there's something else Yes, exactly. So female, um, you know, women are diagnosed much later, generally. And that is definitely one of the reasons, because as females, we learn how to adapt to society and to social norms quite quickly. You know, where males are, they can be a little bit different. And that's okay. Whereas females, you know, it's like going back to the age old hunter gatherer populations where females are the social beings and we need to Um, I mean, that is very generalized. So I'm not saying that those are the two only two populations because we do have quite a few different ones. But um, generally, females are diagnosed much later. And that's a shame because I think they go through, you know, just speaking about my autistic friends, uh, female friends, they go through life thinking that there's something wrong with them for longer Mm -hmm. uh, before they're like, okay, wait a minute. Actually, it's okay. Um, and then, and then they get the diagnosis and they understand a little bit better why they felt the way they felt for so many, for so many years without anyone possibly understanding them. Yeah. I mean, I've talked with a couple of females who are on the spectrum. I mean, one of them is a mother who's got two sons on the spectrum as well. And She's lucky, though, because she's a writer. So, I mean, she's written books, so she doesn't have to deal with masking as much. Mm. But I'm pretty sure she kind of sees it in her sons because with them going to school. And then that kind of brings up another issue is how how do we educate the public in, in acceptance? I mean, this is a reason why a lot of us mask in just general is because we want to be accepted in society, but yet society mm. just cannot accept us. Mm. And again, it's so difficult for me to answer that question because for me, it's so easy to, um, to, I mean, my partner's on the spectrum, you know, a lot of my friends are, but I think if it's mentioned and, you know, I, I speak to my partner a lot and he's perfectly fine for me to say this. But if it's mentioned in a conversation and we speak to friends of ours and he would say, um, you know, I'm autistic, people kind of like, oh, wait, I didn't know that. And there is like this awkward moment, which I think it's just mm-hmm. I, th- I honestly think that is going to change. I think that it has already changed a lot from when I started in the field, it was 16 years ago or something, it was very different. You know, you hear autism and then you immediately think, okay, this child's definitely in a special needs school and he's got support. And, you know, now it's, it's more of an everyday thing. Uh, most people know what autism is, at least the basics. Right. So I think, again, mm-hmm. I think it's just, things like this, like a conversation, an open and honest conversation without any judgment um, from from my side and from your side, I know, because you're very respectful. But, um, you know, just saying, listen, this is not okay with me. These are the things that's not okay with me and just kind of, or with you and me and understanding each other a bit more. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm neurotypical, but... I can relate to neurotypical people well. And I think that it really is just educating. It's just having conversations, letting them know to watch a a specific video, perhaps. Um, I mean, my friends all know what autism is because I speak about it nonstop. That's probably the only thing I speak about. (laughs) Um, 
but it's those kind of things. It's listening and it's forwarding possibly like a good series that you've watched or, you know, love on the spectrum. I mean, that was the cutest series that I watched. Um, that's actually something that I would, I would tell more people suggest for more people to watch just so that they can see the anxiety that people, and this happens with all of us, but you know, the anxiety that you have when you go on, on dates, um, and it's from an autistic person's perspective, which I think is really cute. Yeah, that was a good series. I hope they make another series of that. On a side note, they are actually making another series, and it will be in the U.S. Oh, that's cool. I didn't my, know that. My life coach, who is, they help, though, they're, they're actually doing what you're doing. Okay. She's doing the same exact thing, but with her form of coaching, and she's writing a book, and you both are part of the same autism um, organization. Okay. They, they are in con. They were in contact with those uh, of the um, co- the production company of Life on the Spectrum, and so I actually gave them my email to give them, and I got contacted by them, and I auditioned. Oh, nice. And they kind of not auditioned, but they interviewed me for the show. And. I don't know. Gonna... Basically, he said to me, the guy left it and he said, listen, we're we're interviewing thousands of people. I don't have the final say. It's it's up to the network in the very end. Oh, that's exciting. I would love it if you're on the show. I would Definitely love it too, but I think, <laughs> I think I'm very borderline from what they want, unless they want to go somewhere different. And want somebody who's like me, who's borderline, who's able to live on his own mm. and be on the spectrum and deal with life. I mean, I'd have to fly out there for the to L.A. or wherever or New York, wherever they're going to film for the duration of the show. Oh, wow. That would be so fun, though. It would. That would be awesome. <laughs> then it's definitely my favorite show. <laughs> if yeah. I know somebody on it, imagine... There's that. There's also atypical too. Yes, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, there's quite a few now. I mean, and this, in general, I think the more people watch shows, and I actually watched a YouTube video yesterday of, um, I wish I can remember her name now, but um, oh, it's category other. That's what she goes under on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And she, I don't know her real name though, but she did a video on the representation of autism in the media. And she just went through all the different shows and she was talking about Sheldon Cooper, you know, and uh, some of the other ones and saying like, which ones were good and which ones were bad, which was quite interesting to me as well. Because I, mean, I think, um, yeah. The good doctor too. Yes. Yeah. He's supposed to be on the spectrum. Yeah, that was a that was a good show too. But that was one of the ones that I think she said wasn't a very true representation. Um, because I think her thing was that she wanted to push for more autistic actors, like actually autistic yeah, actors. I mean, that I mean that's gonna be a big show. I, I I plan to do. I mean maybe we can talk about that too next time. Mm-hmm. But um, just how media misrepresent us all the time mm. i mean yeah, you think definitely. about it you look at that whole controversy with sia yeah and using her friend to represent somebody who's on the spectrum who's not even on the spectrum mm. i think yeah i mean i didn't i didn't read too much into it uh up on it but i caught the end of it and i know that it was um you know a lot of advocates were quite angry about it and obviously not just advocates but everyone else so yeah i do think that it is going to become more and more um evident that people are upset, which is, I think, a good thing. Um, I think the way that you translate your message needs to be coherent and not angry. I don't think people are going to listen to people shouting at them, um, even if the person shouting is right. You know, this is this is very tricky. It's a tricky subject because um, there are a few people that I know that are on uh, autistic that would do a certain therapy 
and they're getting kind of bullied by the, you know, some of the other advocates because they're doing this type of therapy. So it's like, I don't know. I'm, I think that you can change the world by, or change people's mindsets by having a conversation like this. But I think if you're going to start a war, there will be casualties on both sides, which is not something that you want. Right. So I don't know. I'm like, I'm a little bit scared to fall into the, the, the traps of um, becoming like part of the shouting match. And I would rather just focus on the positives and moving people towards that because people get scared if they're, if they get shouted at, they get scared. So they either fight back or they flee. And then those two reactions, you don't, or they freeze. And those either any of those reactions, you don't really want you want them to listen. Right. So now how do you get people to listen is you, you pause and you dissect and then you come up with a good argument against it, which I think a lot of the advocates are doing, which is good. And those are the conversations. I know Dan was part of that whole thing. Mm. I know he did a two part uh, YouTube video on, on that whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Her, her doing that and then her apology afterwards yes i i didn't see the apology actually i didn't see that but what Second i do part. know is there are more and more advocates coming out if you look yes. up, i guarantee you if you look at, up youtube on youtube you look up autism or asperger's there are more and more people who are basically coming out and this talking about what it's like to be on the spectrum mm. who aren't hiding who they are who are proud of who they are and want people to know hey we are people too yes exactly and also just that you know like sometimes i'm like oh that's a bit too much but then i really listen to the message that the advocates are saying and and it makes sense you know um there was another video because i know the lot the latest controversy is um mark rober i think what uh yeah. The, yeah that whole thing where he's doing color the spectrum and he's raising money which i think is a beautiful thing and i really loved this video of his son and um he was raising money for next for autism which i know nothing about so i did read up about them and i read their um not apology they didn't do an apology but they just did like a um a press release on who they are and who they support and and i i tend to believe um what they're saying and i don't know anything about their past so i can't comment on that but you know that whole thing is also another it, it is becoming a debate where it's not, sorry, it's moving from a debate to something else, which I don't know if that's going to be like towards a war. Um, but there was a very good video of the Espian girl. And she wrote, she said that um, she just paused this video every now and then. So she watched it and then she, she paused it with her reaction. And she just said, stop saying person with autism, it's autistic person. And then she would say, because he would say, you are they're true heroes because of this, these reasons, they're not going to be like, um, you know, whatever. I don't know what he said in the video about like, oh, he said, um, you're not looking at like rocket science or something, something like that. And she was angry about it. And rightfully so, you know, you can't say, oh, autistic people are these superheroes, but you're, you're dividing them from your typicals because we're all people. Like you said, we're all the same people. It's just (laughs) the way we process our information. Exactly. I mean, I knew nothing about sensory overload until my friend told me, and then I looked up, looked into it and it said, it's more prominent with those who have autism. Mm. So, yeah, but like you said, we're all, we're all people. I mean, you can't divide us one way or another. We're all yeah. human beings. We just all mm. process our information differently. Exactly. And some people too fast, some people a little bit slower, but they, they process it differently. Some are processing other parts of the conversation that 
that people might not even be aware of. So it's really, and you know, who decides what is the correct way? So, and that was always my thing is like the majority rules, right? But I rarely believe that majority is correct. (laughs) So I think we just need to, we need to make sure that we give everyone a chance to to explain what they what they want who they are and what's important to them because if it's important for you to have a high paying salary then yes you would need to work on these skills if it's important for you to stay at home and have a more relaxed job maybe not so high paying but it's more relaxed then that's also fine, but then you need to know that you need to you need to adhere to these kind of, um, or you have to be able to do these skills, and you also need to know that you might not receive the same amount of payment. Which I mean, for me, working yeah. from home is fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, would I when I was in the workforce, it was all right, but. There were times where I wish I could have done the job from home. I mean, my very first job, I felt I didn't have to mask because it was a very narrow, divergent um, place of uh, employment because you had, we had everybody. We had transgendered. We had mm. people of all different races, people of all different religions. So it was just a mixed bunch. And it, we were, I worked for an ISP, so I felt comfortable. But the part where I didn't was the fact that I would work like 12 hours sometimes. Yeah. And I would be coming home from like downtown in at midnight, and my parents would be worried sick. If I could do that mm. job now, I mean, nowadays people are doing like your your partner he's doing customer service from home more and Mm. more companies are doing that where their employees are home dealing with everything yeah exactly and there's no reason for i mean just the reasons that he gave me for working from home and it's so much better because there's no people looking at you people bumping into you the smells you know the the lights he can he's in control of everything here. There's no external person that's in control of it. So for him, it's a lot better to work from home. And I think most people, it, it is better. I was having a conversation with a group of um, organizations, like head of organizations called NeuroWorks. And they were saying that they do a hybrid um, uh, program where 15%, I think, or 30% of the work time, it's at... It's um, it's at home, and then the rest of it is in the office because they feel like they still want to have that social interaction. Yeah. But I feel like that might work for some, that but for is. others, for others not really. Like I I believe the people that I know that are autistic, they would rather choose their own social interaction time periods. You know, like okay, yeah, on I mean, a Friday night, that's it. Cool. Yeah. I kind of get that. I mean, with uh, with those on the spectrum, working from home is a lot easier. I mean, especially if you have more than just autism, if you have ADHD like you, it makes your life so much easier. Yeah. And like your like your mm-hmm. partner, you don't have to worry about all these other things. You have control of every your entire environment, which makes life a lot easier yes. on you. I I talked with someone earlier on, he was a student and he, he wound up at a job from, from his school as a work program. And he got fortunate enough to have the company, to have his employers understand his issues where he was telling me where they would keep the lights low when he was at a meeting with them in the, like in the meeting, they could keep the mm-hmm. lights almost off because they would, it would trigger him and they would work uh, with, with him on all sorts yeah. of things. So it made it, so he didn't have to mask. I wish there were more mm-hmm. companies exactly, like that. They yes. said, hey, I'm willing to work with you to make your life more mm-hmm. easier if I can understand everything you're dealing with. 
it's really not, and this is what I said to um, a few of the companies when I worked on um, accommodations in the workplace in South Africa, but it's not that difficult. <laughs> it's not major accommodations. No. Like you said, it's a light to be dimmed. It's an explanation after you say it in a group environment to have it on visual as well. So not to... I mean, I, I remember when I had two schools in South Africa and one of the teachers that worked there, she she's autistic. And she told me, she said, I love your sense of humor, Carla, but you know, I bounce a, a lot. So I go from one topic to another. Mm-hmm. And she said, I love your sense of humor, but can you maybe just keep the jokes a little bit um, out of the meeting? Because I would say something important and then I would make a joke about like what I did over the weekend or what's going to happen, you know, or something funny that I read. And she said, it's very confusing because my mind is busy now processing the information that's important. And I'm like staggering it, basically saying, okay, Mondays, I have to come earlier. Tuesday, it's art day. Wednesday's this. And then a joke kind of throws it off. Mm. And I completely understood. I was like, okay, yo, that makes sense. I'm sorry. Um, And, you know, it's not my personality to not make jokes because I always try and keep it a little bit light. But, and it's not that difficult. I mean, it's just like, okay, I know. And it makes me a better manager as well because now I know I need to get through these 10 things in the meeting. And in the last five minutes, we can chat about whatever, because then the teacher also felt, okay, that's done. Now I can socialize or I can leave the room if I want to, which was her choice. So it's just, it's like simple things. I do have a question I do want to ask you. Do you Mm. have a hard time, like when you're learning something new, do you have a hard time retaining that information? It depends on if I'm interested in it and motivated. So I'll give an example of Portuguese. So so I've never been really good in languages, um, but I was highly motivated when I got to Portugal to learn Portuguese. So I was probably, I was a very good student in the beginning. I would come home and I would do my homework. I went to class three times a week and I would come home and I did extra apps, you know, language apps and everything. And I was really good. And my retainment was amazing. And then I lost motivation. Mm. Um, you know, I, I would got busy with work and I just, I didn't want, I didn't see the point because I started making friends with a lot of experts. So I started speaking English more. Um, and just like that, my retainment also, I, I wasn't retaining anything. I'm not retaining anything. So I think like most people, it depends on uh, motivation and if you're interested in it. Um, yes, yeah, because otherwise I just, I, I don't retain. I can have a conversation with somebody today and tomorrow I'll forget about it because I wasn't interested in it. So hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. <laughs> because I ask because... I don't remember anything I learned when I went for my master's. Oh, yes. Yeah, school as well. Do you remember anything from high school? (laughs) Only like what I, a little bit of what, like what my general education, my science teacher taught us. I mean, he Mm -hmm. had, I remember his name. I remember the quote he used to tell us, which is, you don't know what you know unless you know, unless you know it all or something like that. It sounds like a song, like a hip hop song. You don't know know what you know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I remember a lot of, you know, but actually I do remember some of my psych classes in the States, but it was the ones that I didn't get like 90 to 100 percent but I really understood what the professor was talking about. So I remember his name. I remember, you know, where he was. I remember what he said in class. But again, I was just super interested. And he, his personality um, really got me because it was different. So I think I gravitate towards information and people that are interesting and different um, I mean, I like for the life of me, I can't even remember what I did yesterday. I was probably just working, but it you know, it's, it's more. I can remember yeah. some small things that I've been told that happened to me when I was younger, but 
I don't remember him per se. I mean, I remember yeah. stories of my parents telling me, oh, you used to take apart your parent, your father's um, tools to see how they, how, see how they work. Or yeah. that I was stuck in a car wash with my mother when I was younger. And that I pulled off my grandfather's, my grandfather's rearview mirror. And then the whole story of how it happened. And I remember all that, but I remember little things here and there, but mm-hmm. nothing of importance. This and another interesting phenomena that I sometimes think about is I notice small details. So I'll walk around and I'll notice if there's a new flower or when the mm-hmm. flowers bloom and when the flowers go, you know, close up. But I sometimes forget, and this is going to sound funny, but when I traveled a lot, this was a problem. I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, which country am I in? <laughs> now, not so much <laughs> because, you know, with the lockdown, I haven't traveled a lot. Or I'll walk around and I'll be like, oh, where am I? Or what day is it? I'll forget the holistic hole, but mm-hmm. the smaller details I zone into. So I wonder, you know, I don't know if that's part of ADHD or just the personality trait. I don't actually, I no, don't know. I, I should tell you, when me. I was in Italy, I... It was siesta and and I was hungry and nothing was really open. So I was walking around trying to find a shop and I found this little sandwich shop. And then when I went, when I finished eating, I turned around to go back and I'm like, wait a minute, how do I get back to my hotel? I, oh, yes. I didn't. Where am I? I kept trying to say, okay, as I'm walking, I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at the street signs and look at the buildings and try to memorize the buildings on, I know where I'm at. But when it came time, yeah, I couldn't figure it out. I literally had to talk to someone in a restaurant, talk to somebody. And finally, I wound up going to a little police station inside the train station. And oh, I had wow. to ask the guy behind the window. He said he didn't speak English. I'm like, as I showed him my map, I'm like, is this the road that gets me back to my hotel? And he just nodded mm. yes. Oh, that's because lucky, the, though, that you got the map there. Yeah. And because the only person that spoke English was busy with, I guess, tourists. Some tourists. And I just didn't want to wait around. It was getting dark. Mm. That's good, though, that you got back there. I remember my brother actually phoned me when he was in New York, one of the first times, I think it was the second time, maybe, that he went to New York. And he phoned me and he's like, Carla, I have no idea where I am. I don't know where my hotel is. I don't know how to get back. I don't know what the name is. I'm like, okay, wait, let's just take it easy. We'll be able to figure this out. Let's go into your receipts. And we had to figure it out like that because, you know, New York is just so, he's also got ADHD. And, you know, he was probably just went on the road and just with all the lights and the sounds and the people, just kind of lost track of everything. So that is, that's an important lesson to learn at a young age, I guess, is to keep track some other way because you know your mind is so busy um, and it wanders so that you either, today's world is so easy though, you know, it's easy Mm -hmm. for us to find our way back with GPS thing, thankfully. Um, But in, you know, in the past, I think that would have been quite scary. Like, especially when you're in Italy, like not knowing, yeah. not knowing the language. <laughs> Italy like, was scary. Uh, in Spain, I almost got lost. But fortunately, when we got back from our, I got back from my tour, I turned to my tour, my tour guide. I'm like, hey, where's my hotel? She's like, just follow that road and I'll take you right to your hotel. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Spain is also a little bit busy. I was there. I've never been to Italy. I should go. Um, Spain is big. Barcelona was beautiful. Oh, I've never been. I've only been to um, the south more, but uh, Valencia. I stayed in Valencia for only for a month, but you know, it was amazing. I'm really close to Spain now. I should just hop well, over. I'd love to come visit you, though. <laughs> Yes, you should come visit. Well, we're in Portugal, um, close to Ericeira, which is a nice little beach town. 
Um, and then you're probably going to stay here for a while, not moving. It's just cold in the winters. But it's good. It's nice. Definitely hop over. But I think your topic, uh, we should actually, have, you know, there's, there's a lot of validity in, not validity, um, importance in the two topics, like speaking about employment, mm -hmm. autism and employment, and autism and relationships is something else, you know, that I those mean, two things. Yeah. Masking in a relationship is a huge thing. I mean, yes, would exactly. you consider that almost lying to your partner because you're pretending you're not who you are? Yes, and I think this is something, you know, and, and maybe you can have it, even have a conversation at some point with Steph because it uh, that's my partner, and, you know, this is something that he had to do for many years is to to mask who he was because it people just don't get it. Like, they don't understand that when he says something, he's being truthful. And it might sound like he's being rude or something, yes. but if you ask them, he gave you the answer. Now be prepared to get the answer. The way, I mean, the way my mother always put it is we only see black or white. <laughs> we don't see that middle line. If it, and my mom can tell you stories about how we could be at a party, a family party, and they can be, they can be talking, they can be sick, telling a story to somebody and they would get a part of it wrong. And I literally would stop them in the middle of the party in the middle of their conversation saying, you're wrong. It, it was mm -hmm. this way. And my parents would just look at me. And then later I would <laughs> yes. be like, they'd yell at me like, why did you do that? You embarrassed me. Cause yeah, they don't understand that. That's how my you mind works. Yeah, you have to. Like, this is something, I would say something, and I'm actually going to have uh, a few talks with a friend of mine who's autistic, and um, she's amazing. She's been on TED Talks, and she wants to talk about relationships. And, um, you know, I'll sometimes I'll message her, and I'll say, dude, this is what happened. What's going on here? And she's like, no, it's just because, and she'll give me the reasons. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that, she's that I told her was that if um for instance like let's say I ask okay well do I look good and the answer is no you do not um I I need to be able to get that that feedback so and to understand that it doesn't come from a bad bad perspective or bad point of view it really comes just from that honesty like I you know sometimes I'll have a discussion with Steph and I'll say something like, oh, yeah, one out of 47 people are on the spectrum. And he's like, wait a minute. And he'll do the research. He's like, no, actually, that's unofficially. And officially, it's one out of 56. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Like, <laughs> I was just uh. speaking. <laughs> but that's how we learn from each other. And that's what yeah. I really respect from him, you know, and to, to do the research, to be honest, to be truthful. Um, because oh, the amount of times that I have to that I have to lie to people and say, no, I'm not tired, you know, definitely let's go and do this conference or whatever. Imagine I could just say, no, I'm actually tired. I don't want to do this. And we should be able to do this. So there's so much that I feel that we can learn from um, generally just from autistic people. So I mean, that's I what think I think is... Another reason I think people mask in the workplace is because they're afraid they're not going to fit in. It's not that it's not just mm -hmm. that their employers aren't going to accept them. It's the fact that they're not going to be accepted by their own, their own peers. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's something that is slowly changing, but it is going to take a bit longer, you know, because change always happens so slow. Um, but I think the more these kind of conversations are happening and the more we share the, um, what we feel and how we can work together and how we can learn from each other. I think that is definitely an important movement towards more of an awareness and acceptance more so um, understanding and respect, you know, yes. it's all of those big things. It's not just, Oh, okay. I know what autism is. It's um, do you speak the language that autistic people want to want to hear? You know, don't, I mean, I listen to professionals all day long. I was again today listening to a conference and 
they say that they're experts in autism, but they're still saying person diagnosed with autism or whatever, or this person with autism. And it's like most of my friends don't like that. You know, they like it when you say autistic person or, mm-hmm. um, you know, like neurodivergent individual or or something like that. But it's it's a word I mean, that aren't even used. Neurodivergent is a word that's kind of new to me altogether. I mean. There's it a word. A word. Yeah, um, I have a my. I got a really good friend who's been in in the autism community for for God knows how long because he's a huge researcher because he wanted to find out why he he's acting the way he did. And there's a word, an Australian word that means in his or her own or autism. And I never knew this word. What I, is I the mentioned word? this word to him. He's like, oh yeah, that means in his or her own. I'm like, how do you know this? He's like, I do my research. And when you're in the community that long, that word pops up a lot. Yeah. What is the, what is the word? I think it sounds like a Um, hang on. Um, it starts with a T. It's a Narari word. Oh, no, this is, I saw some, someone post about it, but I can't remember the word now either. There it's is, like a, there is actually a company that I bought in Australia that has a whole bunch of different neurodivergent t-shirts with different sayings and things like ADHD or, or Aspie lover and stuff like oh, that. Cool. I'll send you the link and give you my, I'm their ambassador. One of their ambassadors. I'll give you the link and my 15% off code. So you can get it. Oh, thank you. You're That's welcome. awesome. Yes. I, um, what is it? What is the, but yeah, the about, divergence yeah. is a word I never heard of until recently. Yeah, I think like neurodiversity, obviously, and then the, um, started the whole movement towards calling people more neurodiverse. And then I said, okay, now there's a difference. And, you know, there's a lot of um, academics, actually, that are saying mm-hmm. these are the differences and holistic means this, neurodivergent means this, neurodiverse means that. So... I just think that if you are open to learning and mm-hmm. open to to listening, then it is going to make a massive difference because that's what all my autistic friends want. They just want to be heard. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, and that's the big thing is I keep telling people that they're not alone in this world. Mm-hmm. There are millions of us out there who are on the spectrum. There are just those who just don't want, don't broadcast yeah. it, who just want to be exactly. left alone. Yes, exactly. Reed, I need to run. I'm sorry, or go, not run. Oh, not a problem. <laughs> but, hey, sorry. Okay. <laughs>
yourself.